Good morning. Mine was one of those cars sliding down the car park, so I can confirm he wasn't lying. And if your car's still out there, I'd suggest you go move it, or it might be down at the port by the time we finish. Well, I hope you're all ready for Christmas. Uh, two weeks to go. We've got some people in our life group who have been uh, in Christmas mode since November. They know who they are. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, it's now perfectly acceptable to have Christmas music on in the car, to have mince pies, to do your Christmas shopping, to do all of that stuff. Uh, and if you happen to have a chat to my wife after the service, if you could just get her to give me any ideas for Christmas, that'd be really helpful. I'm probably going to go a little bit lower key than I went for her 30th birthday in September because I got her a puppy for that. And uh, at the time it was all, oh, you know, you're the best husband ever and this is a great surprise. And then the toilet training started. Um, and she's reminded me a couple of times since that big life decisions in marriage should probably be made together. Um, so, so let's just say we might be back to socks and scarves for Christmas this year. <clears throat> But as Marcus just mentioned, through December, we're exploring this, uh, this question, have you found Jesus through all of the activities that we're doing? And if you were here last week, Beth started the, the preaching side of that for us by looking at this idea of seeking Jesus, the importance of, of searching for him. Um, and the, the, the title I've got for my sermon today is, Are We There Yet? And, uh, and what I want to explore for a few minutes is this idea of what it actually looks like and how long it actually takes for us to, to find Jesus in our lives. And I'm sure we've all probably been you know, either the person in the back of a car uttering those words at some point in the past, or we've been the person in the front of the car having that, that question pointed at us. Um, and it's like that level of frustration that just spills into the vehicle when the destination feels like it's never going to arrive. My, my in-laws live in Scotland, in Stirling, and whenever they drive down to our house from Scotland, they say, it just takes forever to drive to Dartford. And then when you get to Dartford, there's another two hours before we get to your house. And I said, well, no, there's not. There's actually an hour, but it involves you driving more than 40 miles an hour on the motorway. Um, but this sense of, like, we're never going to get there. The destination's never going to arrive is something that I think is enough to drive us all mad when we're in a car. But I wonder if we've had that experience in our faith where we've just felt like we're never going to get to the destination. You know, I want to know Jesus. I want to have a relationship with him, but I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. I feel like I'm on this treadmill that never has a final destination. And I want to explore that theme a little bit this morning by um, looking at a couple of texts in, in Matthew and in Luke, two extracts from the accounts of the Christmas story in, in those two books. So if you've got Bibles with me, turn first to, to Matthew 1, and we're going to read verses 18 to 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful man uh, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And then we're going to flick to Luke 2 verses 1 to 15, which says, 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So in these two extracts alone of the Christmas story from those two books in the New Testament, we, we read about several people's experience of finding Jesus. And there are some people that are mentioned explicitly in those passages. So we have Mary and Joseph and the shepherds in particular. But there are also some people that aren't explicitly referenced. First of all, there would almost definitely have been relatives staying in the house of the stable where Jesus was born. Uh, and we know this for a couple of reasons. That it's, it's maybe a little bit different to what we see often in the nativity scene where we have a, a, a Mary already in labor, knocking on door after door and being turned away by innkeeper after innkeeper. The reality from what we read in the text is probably a little bit different in that, uh, as it says there in the, in the passage in Luke, when they were in Bethlehem, they were already there when the time came for Mary to have the baby. So likely they were staying with, with family. It was, the, uh, it was the, obviously the hometown of Joseph, so no doubt he had relatives there. Also, the Greek word that's used for the place that they were staying was not the same word that was used for a commercial inn. So it's very likely they were staying with family. Um, and whilst we don't get a full account of the family meeting the baby, we can probably assume that if there were relatives in the main house, then they probably met the baby at some point. Also, if we read into, into Matthew 2, um, we read about the Magi, the wise men that Beth uh, talked about last week. And they obviously go on this journey um, which likely took years. We, we imagine these, these were advisors to the king who probably traveled from, from Persia or Babylon, likely 800 to 900 miles that they traveled uh, over most likely a period of years in order to find Jesus. And what all of these different perspectives show us is that there, there is not one defined way to find Jesus. There is what, not one defined time frame. There is not one defined tactic to come into relationship with Jesus. We all have a unique experience. But we do get some examples of what our journey might look like in, in those two texts. And in the time that I've got left, uh, I want to just unpack that a little bit. I'm going to be quick because if not, Katie will tell me off for going over 20 minutes again. So I will make sure I finish on time. Um, but the first one, if we can have the first slide, the, um, the first person is, is Joseph. The second slide. You missed my crazy first slide. That's fine. Um, so, so Joseph has to find Jesus in the trusting. So, you know, trying to put myself in his shoes, it must have been a pretty crazy period for Joseph. You know, he's engaged to be married. Then he finds out that his soon-to-be wife, who he hasn't slept with, is pregnant. Um, and, you know, he plans to just 
you know, divorce her quietly, move on with his life. He doesn't need this complication. And then an angel appears to him in a dream and says, what's conceived in, in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. And she's carrying Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm sure everything in him must have wanted to just discard that dream. Just to go, maybe I had too much cheese the night before or whatever. But just to think that I'm just going to pretend that thing didn't happen. Because everything else around him was so confusing. To be told that, to think first of all in your mind that your, your fiancé, who you're not even married to yet, has been unfaithful. And to know that the social shame and, and, and repercussions of that were massive. Everything in him must have wanted to just discard the thing that he'd heard. But something in him decides that in spite of all of that, I'm going to trust, I'm going to hold on to faith, and I'm going to see this process through. And because he does that, he finds Jesus. And not just does he find him, but he gets the amazing privilege of being earthly father to, to Emmanuel. Then we have Mary, if we can have the next slide. Mary, Mary finds Jesus in the pain. And I have so much admiration for Mary. What a remarkably brave young woman she was. I mean, we read in Luke 1, Mary's song, where she rejoices and she glorifies God for the miracle that's happening inside her. But in those initial moments when she found out that she was carrying a child, she must have been terrified. There must have been pain. There must have been fear at a level that most of us couldn't possibly understand. Because she was probably 13 to 14 years old at this point. Um, In Jewish culture... Once you were engaged to be married, the, the authority over your life transitioned from your father to your fiancé. And so in the eyes of Jewish law, she was married, basically, at this point. And so if she was you know, seen to have been unfaithful, she would have been seen to have committed adultery in the purest form. And the, the punishment for that was you were basically dragged to the, the entrance to your father's house, and the men from the town came and stoned you to death. And so that is what she was facing in those moments when she heard that she was with child. There must have been so much pain in those initial moments. Then she has to travel to Bethlehem for the census on the back of a donkey. And we believe at best it was probably a week-long journey, heavily pregnant, on the back of a donkey. I'm sure there was pain in the travelling. And then, of course, as a 13- or 14-year-old girl, she has to give birth to a baby she's done nothing to conceive. There must have been pain in the delivery. This is a painful period in many ways for Mary. But in the midst of all of that pain she finds Jesus in the most amazing way. Then we have the shepherds, and the shepherds find Jesus in the miracle. So the shepherds find Jesus in a moment of just undeniable, miraculous work from God. And Mary does too, of course, but I think for the shepherds in particular, they're just in a field, they're minding their own business, they're doing the same work they did every single night, and out of nowhere, they're smacked in the face with this miracle. An angel of the Lord appears out of nowhere, tells them that the Saviour's been born in Bethlehem. Then a whole host of angels appear and start glorifying God. It's like this big, undeniable, smack-you-in-the-face God moment that helps them to find Jesus. And uh, they actually say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they recognise in that moment, because of how amazing that miracle was, this is the work of God, we now need to find Jesus. Then we have the relatives, and the relatives, for me, it's a bit of a strange one. I mean, first of all, I think it's hilarious that, you know, the second cousins and whatever are sort of staying in the house while they put the pregnant one out in the barn. I think that's, you know, interesting. I know Christmas is a crazy time for families, but even so, that feels a little bit mad. Um, but they're just like, they're in the house. They're in the main house. They're being hosted, no doubt, by whoever owns the property. 
Mary's out in the barn, she's giving birth, and, and we don't get an explicit account of what happens here, but we can assume that at some point they must wander out to meet the baby that's been born in the manger. And as they do, they have no idea what they're about to walk into. There's been no plan around meeting Jesus. There's been no real pursuit of Jesus or the Messiah at this point. They just wander out into the, into the barn and in the manger, out of the blue and all by an accident, they encounter Jesus. And sometimes that's what happens in our lives too. Suddenly they're in the presence of the king without ever expecting to be. And then we have the wise men, the magi. Um, and the, the, the word magi actually derives from the Greek word magos, which means one of a learned or, or priestly class. They were likely advisors to the king. They were highly educated in the fields of mathematics and astrology, amongst other things. Um, they were likely very aware of the prophecies that were made you know, years and years before that about the coming of a Messiah. They'd seen this star appear in the sky and being masters in astrology and culturally at the time, heavenly movements like that were considered to be signs that something divine was happening. So they set out on this path, this 800 to 900 mile path that likely takes them years based on a prophecy that was made a long time ago, some maths they've done that they hope they've got right around the timing of that event and a star that has appeared in the sky that they're following. And there must have been periods on that few-year journey, over 800, 900 miles, where they just thought, we might have gone a bit mad here. Maybe we've misjudged something. Maybe this is a huge waste of time. Maybe we should turn back now and go home. There must have been moments like that on that journey. But they persevere. They keep going. They keep the faith. And in the end, they're rewarded because they find Jesus, just as they hoped they would. And from all of that, I wanted to get across a pretty simple message this morning that I felt God had put on my heart. And that is that if we really seek, we can find Jesus in whatever moment we are in right now. Wherever we are, Jesus is findable. But the biggest blocker, I think, to many people, not just coming to faith in Jesus, but coming to a place of intimate relationship with Jesus, is like a preconceived idea around how that experience should happen. What I should see, what I should feel how long it should take, how it worked for somebody else. I think those sometimes are questions that actually block us from being aware of where Jesus is and how we can find him. And, and the difficult thing about trying to expect something that someone else experienced is that the Bible is really clear that we all have a unique relationship with God. He sees us as individuals. He knows us intimately as individuals. We're told that he knows the number of hairs on our head. We're told that he knows the, the deepest desires of our hearts individually. We're told that he knows our beginnings and he knows our ends and he knows the in-betweens. <clears throat> and we're told that he knows us and he calls us each individually by name. So each experience we all have with Jesus is so unique and is so personalized that the first trap we can fall into is expecting it to happen like it happened with someone else. Because he knows us intimately and he knows the best way to reveal himself to us, even if that's not the way we had necessarily intended it to happen. Maybe we want that big shepherd in the field, miraculous, smack you in the face moment with God, where we go, I've, I've found Jesus in this amazing, undeniable moment. Maybe that's how we imagined it might happen, but actually what God is saying to us in this moment in our lives is that he wants us to know him in the confusion. He wants us to find him in the midst of the confusing situation we're in, where we don't understand what's going on. Perhaps we wondered if one day we would just bump into Jesus, like the relatives in the house likely did. 
maybe we have been of the opinion that if you are real, Jesus, and if you are all the things that you say you are, at some point I assume I will bump into you in my life. But actually, maybe what's more beneficial for us is to go on the process of seeking like the Magi did. Maybe God knows that if we take that time to seek him out and we pursue him and we invest real time, it will be more beneficial for us in the long run at the end of that search. Maybe we're experiencing pain in our lives right now and because of that pain, we have decided Jesus can't be who he says he is because life hasn't turned out fair and if he was real, I wouldn't be experiencing this pain that I'm going through right now. But perhaps today what Jesus is saying is that just like he was with Mary, he can be found in the midst of the most painful experience you've had in your life. He can be discovered there like he was with Mary. I wonder if the band would come back up and just play quietly for us. Now, you might be here this morning and you might never have made a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been waiting for that particular moment that was going to blow you out the water and was going to take you by surprise and you just undeniably know it was God. Maybe you're someone who is a Christian, but you're in a season right now where you feel like it's hard to find Jesus in the moment that you're in, where it feels like you've, come, you've become disconnected and you almost need to re-find him today. <clears throat> and I think if we're in either of those camps, then we can take a lot of encouragement from what we read in the Christmas story. Because amongst many other things, what we learn from the Christmas story is that there is no one defined way. There is no one defined path. Wherever you are right now, Jesus is findable, even if you've convinced yourself that he's not. Jesus, for me, is findable in the most unlikely of places. And when we read about Jesus in the Bible, we see that pattern. So he was a boy king born in a manger. When he was a boy, they found him preaching in the temple. When he was a young man, they found him socialising with sinners. And as the baby king, Messiah, he was hung on a cross for the sake of us. Jesus was rarely where you expected him to be. And he can be found in the most unexpected situations in our lives. And I sense there are people here this morning and then people maybe listening online who need prayer today. You might need someone just to come alongside you, just to speak with you, just to pray with you. Maybe you know you've got to make that commitment for the first time and you've been putting it off because you've been waiting for that moment. <clears throat> Maybe you were really close at one point and then something painful happened and you were like, it's not the right time. <clears throat> Today can be the day for you. There isn't one defined moment, there isn't one defined route, there isn't one defined path to finding Jesus. But the thing about Jesus is he's never static. He's never not present. He's never not working. He's never not interested. So wherever you are this morning, you can find him. Maybe you feel like you've lost that of late. You're in that second camp where you used to have a really strong faith. You used to be so close, but you've become distant. And you're wondering how you can rediscover him. Well, you can do that this morning. And there are people here that would love to come alongside you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And as the band play a final song in a minute, there's going to be prayer team down here at the front, and you can take that opportunity. You could also just turn to the person you came with if, uh, if that's more comfortable for you. If you're sat next to somebody you know and you trust, just ask them to pray with you. You don't have to come out to the front, but there will be a designated team here ready. 
And if you're online and this is, this is resonating with you, then we're available through the week. You can reach out to us on email, you can call the church office, and we can arrange for somebody to, to do that with you either remotely or find time in person to do that as well. But you know, all of the people that we, we've talked about this morning in those two passages had wildly different experiences. But they all had the same outcome, which was they found Jesus. And they found him as the saviour and as their messiah. And you can do that this morning as well. I've got eight seconds left. Pretty good, eh? <laughs> Amen. Don't miss the opportunity. <clears throat>